it is somewhat audacious of us, but lovely in a special way that we can welcome God to our world, a world that he made. Isn't he a big God? Question. What do Bill Clinton and Shirley Temple have in common? How they are remembered. When, Clinton, when Clinton's name is mentioned, far too often, what comes to mind is not a two-term president that left a surplus of $128 billion when he left office. No one talks of the Family Medical Leave Act he signed in 1993, which requires companies to provide workers with up to three months of unpaid leave for family and medical emergencies. No one talks of the Brady Act that Clinton signed, which requires a potential handgun purchaser to wait for a whole five days while a background check is performed by law enforcement officers. No one talks of the Clinton Foundation and the hundreds of millions of dollars it gives towards helping farmers around the world and other worthwhile projects. When Bill Clinton's name is mentioned, Monica Lewinsky is somewhere in there. In the face of mortification, shame that is, and dishonor, Clinton was impeached for lying. I am glad that we're not serving the U.S. government because all of us may be impeached for lying. It seems that Clinton will never be able to outlive a disgraceful past. While Shirley Temple does not have a disgraceful past, most remember her, Keisha, as a little girl with curly blonde hair who sang and danced her way into the hearts of millions of fans while she lifted spirits, inspired generations of performers, and generally made people feel good about themselves, no one remembers that Shirley Temple's sister Taylor had a series of serious accomplishments. Number one, who knew that Shirley Temple served three ambassadorships representing the United States of America? Who knew that Shirley Temple was the first 
female U.S. chief of protocol at the State Department on the President Ford. She worked for the Department of State as a foreign affairs officer expert on the Reagan. But in spite of her many accomplishments, Shirley Temple is remembered as a little girl with blonde curly hair. Shirley Temple's past is wonderful, but she will never outlive that image we have of her. Today, we want to take a few moments to look at a man with a past and to see just how we remember him. But more importantly, what lessons can we learn about ourselves as we peer through the pages of sacred history? We'd like to thank Abby for reading the scripture reading so well, but it's necessary that I call our attention to it by reading it again. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went on to his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the, Hebrew, of the Hebrews strove together. And he said unto him who did the wrong, Why smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. On this day of ordination, I would like to speak on the subject, the road of service runs through Midian. Father, take this word and do what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. He had an inauspicious beginning. There was no gender reveal party for Amram and Jochebed, his parents. The sweet sound of Moses' first cry had to be muffled 
by wise midwives who are intent on keeping Pharaoh's spies oblivious to the fact that God's plan to free his slaves had just begun. This reminds me that God had to engage in similar maneuverings of concealment when the Savior of the world made his entrance. He was inauspicious. He came to a world blighted with sin. The wise men were advised to take a different route home so as not to, not to reveal the whereabouts of the baby in the manger. Moses spent his first 12 years with his birth parents, his brother Aaron, and his sister Miriam. Then we remember the story of how for three months Amran and Jacobet kept him, but then he started to cry and cry, and the songs got out, and mom decided, let me make this basket, and let me put it in the river now. And we know how Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe, and she heard the baby cry, and how Miriam in her wisdom went and got the mother, and she was able to nurse her son for 12 years. Moses grew up in a palace. He had everything he wanted in the world. Please bear in mind that at the time, Egypt, think if you can, was just like the United States of America in this regard. It was the only superpower of the world. It led the world in technology, Everybody wanted to come to Egypt. They had immigration problems. This was the place Moses grew up, and he was being groomed to be king. He rode around in expensive and exquisite chariots. Depending on his mood, when he was in the mood for speed, I seem to recall Moses, Moses had a chariot called Lamborghini. And when he just wanted to ride around in luxury and comfort, he simply called on his chariot Bentley. And when he just wanted just to be muscular, full of power, he had a chariot called Hama. Moses had what he wanted. And after some 28 years in the palace, the Bible tells us that he went out one day and he saw an Egyptian Moses was raised for 28 years in the palace, being groomed as an Egyptian to take over. But the Bible says that when he went out, he saw an Egyptian striking one of his brethren. 
I think there's a lesson in there for us. Sometimes God in his goodness, providence, and mercy has allowed some to get into the palace. And once they get there, they no longer identify with their brethren in the ghetto. Here was Moses seeing this. And the Bible says that he looked this way and he looked that way. And he decided he was going to kill this Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Now, you recognize what Moses didn't do. He looked left and he looked right, but he should have looked up. Because we can look whatever we want. God always sees what we do. This thing became known because Moses went to bed that night. And I would use my preacher's imagination. Let's call it a Sunday night. Just like we go to bed on any Sunday night. Not knowing what Monday will bring. He went to bed normally. Woke up Monday morning. And he saw this whooping that was being given to his brethren. And Moses decided to act. We don't know how he did it. Was it with his bare hands? Did he have a weapon? All the Bible says is that he slew the Egyptian. Moses went to bed Sunday night, not knowing what he would have done Monday morning. I wonder just how many of us go to bed one night without an understanding that our lives could be changed the very next day. So this was Monday. And I would imagine Moses went to bed Monday night. Not thinking or being fearful, but feeling kind of justified. You know, he was taking advantage of the slave. I'm glad that God put me there to act. Moses must have seen God's providence. And so he slept on Monday night. Feeling justified, not knowing what he would have awoken to on Tuesday morning. And on Tuesday morning when he woke up, he went out again and this time he saw two of his brothers fighting. And when he decided to intervene, he learned that that which he had done the day before was no longer private. And the Bible says that Moses fled to Midian. Moses, we are told, pen of inspiration says, that when you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, no other biblical character stands close to Moses in terms of being educated. He, was, he is without peer. That's the word she uses. The most educated of all of God's men. In the, in, in the land of Egypt, Moses attended all the Ivy League schools. He was trained as a military giant. He understood the sciences and the arts. He was cultured. And there he was one day in opulence. And the next day, he was in Midian. 
Moses had a plan for his life. But he did not recognize that God had another plan for his life. And I'm wondering today, are we going about our life as if we have a plan with no idea as to the plan God has for us? In Exodus chapter 2, we hear of this place called Midian. But it's not the first time it is mentioned in the Bible. The first time we hear of Midian is in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 28. And I'll read what it says. By that time, the Midianite traders were passing by. You remember the story? His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. Who took Joseph, Joseph with them down to Egypt? The Ishmaelites. Do you remember Ishmael? Who was Ishmael? He was Abraham's son that he had fathered with Hagar. And he therefore was Isaac's brother. The Midianites were descendants of Ishmael. Therefore, the Midianites and the Israelites came from Abraham's loins. The Israelites came through Sarah, and the Ishmaelites came through Hagar. You remember that an angel had visited Hagar twice. Once when she became pregnant and she was strutting her stuff and she had to flee because she was rubbing it in Sarah's face. Aha, I'm pregnant, you're not. And then an angel met her and sent her back because she was a slave. Go back and submit yourself to your master. And 13 years later, when Ishmael was a 13-year-old lad, at this time, Sarah got mad and said she got to go. And she left Abraham, the Bible says, gave them some bread and some water, and they walked. And after they ran out of food, the boy was dying. And the Bible says that Hagar removed herself from where her son was because she couldn't bear to see him take his last breath. And then the angel visited her again. We don't know if it's the same angel. Genesis 21, 17. It says, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand. For I will make him into a great nation. 
And then we are told in Genesis 21, 20 and 21, God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. In other words, Moses went to this place called Midian. Are you following me? And at Midian, he met a priest by the name of Jethro. And Jethro in Midian was a descendant of Ishmael. But you see, the connection is not only was Ishmael Abraham's son, but the Bible says we just read that Ishmael's mother, Hagar, got a wife from Egypt, which meant that the Midianites lived peaceably next to Egypt. So Moses was in a safe place. And there he was. In Midian and Jethro who had seven daughters gave him Zipporah to become his wife and so here is Moses in Midian the road of service runs through Midian it's a far cry from the palace in Egypt Moses had to be removed from the influence of the palace in order to fulfill God's plan for his life. Here is how one inspired writer puts it. Not yet was Moses prepared for his life work. He had yet to learn the lessons of dependence upon divine power. Let me say that again. He had yet to learn the lesson of dependence upon divine power. In Egypt, Moses didn't know of this divine power. Not because it wasn't taught to him for the first 12 years of his life, but because he was surrounded by other influences and God providentially had to move Moses from the palace in Egypt to the desert in Midian so he can learn how to depend on divine power. Where does God have to move you to get you to where he needs you to be? Here is what this inspired writer says. He had to learn the lesson of dependence upon divine power. In the wilds of Midian, Moses spent 40 years as a keeper of sheep that, that he might become a representative of God. He must learn of him. It's hard to represent what you don't know. Moses was in a place where everything around him was antithetical to the God he was raised with for the first 12 years of his life. In Egypt, Moses was thought of Osiris, 
the God of the underworld that symbolized death and resurrection in ancient Egypt. There he was thought of Isis, the goddess of the moon, protector of women and children, the healer of the sick. There in Egypt, Moses was thought of Horus, depicted as a falcon-headed man to be worshipped as the god of sky and war. Arguably, in Egypt, the most popular god was Ra, who was equated as the creator. And so God understood, if this boy taken from the river Nile was ever going to be the one to lead Israel out of bondage, I had to remove him from the bondage of idol worship. I had to get him to a place. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not suggesting that God told Moses to kill anybody and to create a way for himself. But God can take the wrongs we do and make it work for his purpose. No doubt, here in Midian, his father-in-law's influence and tutelage did him well. It reminded him of the God his parents taught him about. And Moses had to learn three things in Midian. Because the road of service runs through Midian. The first thing Moses had to learn, and I think we get it wrong when we fix it on the burning bush. The burning bush that was not being burned up was just a way of getting his attention. That was not the point. You may recall that when Moses stood by the Mount Horeb and he saw this strange sight of a bush burning but not being burned up, he was drawn to the sight. But as he was coming close, you remember what God said to him? Listen, Moses, what? Take off what? Your shoes, because the place you are standing is what? Holy ground. The first lesson Moses had to learn was about the holiness of God. And what God was demonstrating is that you can have all the opulence, you can ride all the chariots, you can eat all the foods, you can have the best of everything. If his presence is not there, it's not holy. Moses had to learn that. So he stood there and the first thing he was told, hey, take off your shoes. Back then, the removing of shoes was a sign of respect. I was in Turkey some years ago and we went to a mosque. And the first thing we had to do was take off our shoes. They would not allow us to go in with our shoes. I'm glad that we don't do that here at Ipsy. Because we have some real fancy shoes that come to church. And I can imagine folks saying, no, I'm not taking this off. I'm styling and profiling. But Moses was told that the place is holy because God is holy. 
So the first lesson that Moses had to learn in Midian was the presence of God brings holiness. Not Osiris, not Isis, not Ra. It was the God of heaven that makes the place holy. So, you know, we, we have some plans about changing some stuff up in here. We want to change the stage and the, the dark walls. But I have to be reminded that we can do all the changes if God's presence is not here. We're just wasting our money and our time. It's the holiness of God. The road to service runs through Midian. First lesson for Moses, the holiness of God. Second one is wise conformity. Now this was a biggie for Moses. You must understand, but back then, messing with sheep was dirty work. Sophisticated people didn't mess with sheep. You remember the brothers, Cain and Abel? What did Cain bring? Fruit from the ground. Abel brought the sheep, representing the sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there will be what? No remission for sins. And Moses coming from the palace, you, you have to appreciate what this man is going through. He left a place where he slept in the big suite. He had everything he wanted. Now he had to be a shepherd. Wise conformity. Paul tells us he had to be all things to all men so he can reach some. Jesus, by example, did the same thing. Moses could have walked around Midian regretting and brooding over what he was missing in Egypt. But no, he submitted himself to wise conformity. Jesus did not spend his time on earth regretting his decision to leave heaven and live among us. He even embraced being called a friend of sinners. He joyfully responded that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Wise conformity. And being found in fashion as a man, wise conformity, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. To save us, Jesus practiced wise conformity. So here was Moses in Midian, 
Moses, I got a job for you, but it's not a job you think. It's not that you become king of Egypt and then you'll turn the military might and you'll release God's people. That's not the plan I have for you. The plan I have for you kind of puts your life on hold for 40 years. This brings me to the third and final point. First, he had to learn holiness in Midian. Number two, he had to learn how to be a shepherd. Moses was 40 years old when he went to Midian. And in 40 years, he's commuting with God. He's in the presence of his father-in-law, Jethro, who is a high priest. He's learning of God, and God is talking to him, and God is telling him, Moses, I got a job for you. You're going to go, and you're going to let my people be free. And Moses had to learn in Midian patience. Could you imagine God making a promise to you and you have to wait 40 years? How many of us are willing to wait 40 days? We have 40 days of prayer and we expect to see results as soon as we pray. Here Moses had to wait 40 because when he went to Pharaoh and to confront him, he was 80 years old. He was 80 years old. And I could imagine this, th these 40 years of waiting in Midian, his mother had died, his father had died, his birth parents had died, his adopted mother, oh how she must have felt a broken heart. She's raising this boy his grandfather thought that he was going to be the next Pharaoh, but there he is, forgetting the gods of Egypt and choosing the God of heaven. Sometimes we need to be like Moses, forgetting the God that brings prosperity and choosing the God of heaven because at the end of the day, there is only one God. And here is Moses at the age of 80 going back into Egypt. Patience, patience, patience. The irony is that it was impatience that caused Moses not to enter the promised land. God said, Moses, you speak to the rock and water is going to come forth and quench the, the thirst of the complaining Israelites. And the Bible says in anger, he struck the rock and there God decided, you're not going to go over. The road of service demands patience. Moses had a 40-year wait. The road of service demands conformity. Moses became a shepherd. 
The road of service demands knowing God. And this knowledge may not be found in palaces you have created for yourselves. Be it the palace of job security, be it the palace of a nice family, be it the palace of a great secular education, or be it the palace of a great retirement plan, like Moses, we need to learn of God's holiness before we can be of full service to God. We can choose to limit our memory of Shirley Temple to the little girl with curly blonde hair, or we can choose to remember her great accomplishments in her three ambassadorships. We can choose to remember Bill Clinton as an impeached president, or we can choose to remember his noteworthy accomplishments. We can choose to remember Moses as the leader who was denied entry into the promised land, or we can choose to remember him as the one who chose to suffer affliction with his brothers and sisters than to live out his life in a luxurious palace. Whatever God has called us to do in this life, we need conformity, patience, and the holiness of a loving God. The road to Midian, the road to where God wants you to serve, the road to where God wants you to utilize the gifts he has given you calls for these three things. You'll have to learn patience. It may not come as soon as you ask for it. You'll have to learn how to be all things to all men so that you can please some. Moses didn't go to Midian saying, I'm not a shepherd. In order to lead people, he had to first learn how to lead sheep. And sheep can be wayward. He had to learn that when you're in the presence of God, you're standing in holiness. I trust today that as we choose to remember Moses, let us not dwell on the killing of an Egyptian slave or an Egyptian period. Let us not dwell on the fact that he struck a rock when God told him to speak to it. Let us not dwell on the fact that an angel was about to kill Moses because he did not circumcise his son and his wife had to act quickly to prevent his death. But let us dwell on the fact that Moses, even though he was not allowed to enter the promised land, God put him asleep and then resurrected him. That's why when you go to the Mount of Transfiguration, who do you see? Moses, Elijah, and who else? Who do you see? Jesus. 
Because Moses understood that the holiness of God is prominent. Let us not hold on to the palaces, but let us let go and hold on to the holiness of God. Father in heaven, there are roads we are taking and there are hard roads because sometimes we like where we are. Sometimes we just like the fact that our lives are set. Moses' life was set. Set not by you because the task you had for him demanded that he learn away, away from the palace. There were lessons to be learned that he could not have learned in Egypt. As mighty as that nation was, he needed the solitude of Midian. Give us Midians today and may we take it so that we can be like your servant. And we thank you that the road, the road of service sometimes runs through Midian in all its hardships. May we learn to embrace that road, not because of the place, but because of the presence of God. May we stand before our Horebs and proclaim, yes, God, you're holy. And we want to be holy like you. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Let the saints all say, Amen.